0: Welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett.
1: And I'm Michael Schaefer. Lovely to be with you, Fee. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine, thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you too. Now, before we get going, I did just want to say it was so great to be with you the other week with In the Company of Poems, with all our fabulous readers and All our fabulous audience and just a huge thank you to everyone that came along and donated it was a glorious night for us and um we're just so pleased to have people there and to so usefully be able to raise a bit of funds towards keeping the podcast going so thank you all
1: absolutely fee and uh, a massive thank you to everyone that came and read with us so beautifully we we really really appreciate it we've got something of a special episode for you today this came about after the very sad passing of Benjamin Zephaniah you and I were having some conversations and thinking about how we wanted to mark that and to honor him and his legacy and his work And um, we knew we didn't want to sort of do something immediate and rush it out, but take a slightly more considered approach. And then our very dear friend, Roy McFarlane, who we've featured on this podcast and has appeared in various ways, in fact, now, came to us with a suggestion.
0: Indeed he did. He offered to, to join us in a way for this episode to reflect just a very special insight into the huge significance of Benjamin Zephaniah's work and the resonance of that work on and on into communities of poetry of activism and of care
1: so we've done it in our usual kind of form we've asked Roy to bring along a particular poem but of course, it is a wider conversation than that about Benjamin's work and Roy's relationship with that. So you'll be hearing myself and Fiona talking about this poetry by Benjamin Zephaniah, the poem that's been a friend to Roy. Do you want to kick us off by giving us a reading of the poem you brought today?
2: Okay. This poetry is like a rhythm that drops. The tongue fires a rhythm that shoots like shots. This poetry is designed for ranting, dance hall style, big moat chanting. This poetry now puts you to sleep, preaching follow me like you was blind sheep. This poetry is not party political, not designed for those who are critical. This poetry is with me when I go to me bed. It gets into me dreadlocks, it lingers around me head. This poetry goes with me as I pedal me bike. I've tried Shakespeare, respect do there, but this is the stuff I like. This poetry is not afraid of going in a book. Still, this poetry need ears for hear and eyes for you have a look. This poetry is verbal rhythm. No big words involved. And if I have a problem, the rhythm gets it solved. I try to be more romantic. It does no good for me. So I take a reggae rhythm and build me poetry. I could try be more personal, but you've heard it all before. Pages of written words not needed brain has many words in store you could call this poetry dub ranting the tongue clears a beat the body starts shanking this poetry is quick and childish this poetry is for the wise and foolish anybody can do it for free this poetry is for you and me don't stretch your imagination this poetry for the good of the nation. Chant in the morning, I chant in the night, I chant in the darkness and under the spotlight. I passed through university, I passed through sociology, and then I got a dread degree in dreadful ghettoology. This poetry stays with me when I run or walk and when i'm talking to myself in poetry i talk this poetry is with me below me and above this poetry is from inside me it goes to you with
3: love yeah. <laughs>
1: roy <laughs> Wow, that's been injected straight into my veins. That was extraordinary. Thank you. Oh, man, I'm hoping if Benjamin's around somewhere
2: listening, I've done him proud, because that's Benjamin all over, man. The beauty of his poetry.
0: What was that like to just do just now?
2: Oh, um, it's funny how you you try to practice a couple of times and hear Benjamin in your head as well, because you've heard Benjamin do it so many times. But I think... Benjamin would have loved this poem to be mine, not to be a copy of him. And knowing that now I'm doing it to an audience, um, I just became one with the poem, and just got loose in it and enjoyed it. And I'm I'm buzzing and smiling just to have read that.
1: Yeah. Our listeners won 't have the the benefit that we've had of seeing you do it as well, and I was just really struck by how physical it was for you doing that It's not a head thing this is it absolutely absolutely. I think that's the
2: important part when you look at some of benjamin's poem they are i think there's a couple of things they're poetry for the people in the sense of accessible. I think he would equally have said that he embodies. The poem, and and I'm I'm talking about a tradition of Black English poets that are going way way back, but especially as part of the Windrush experience. But there's this idea of embodying the poem that you wrote, being a witness to that poetry, and also encapsulating the tradition of the oral traditions that's coming from Jamaica. So when I think of somebody like um, Louise Bennett who is a a famous Jamaican poet who was unique in Jamaica in a sense that she embodied the dialect and the the patwa. When often time, when you were taught in Jamaica, you would be learning the romantics. You would be learning all the highbrow poets.
0: The thing about the oral tradition that I associate always with your poetry is that real need to communicate to the audience which I'm not saying other poetry does of course, have that, but there's something different about that, you need to hear this, and that's often even written into the poems.
2: I think when I look at this poetry, I mean, I'm thinking on the importance to engage and to keep the audience, the reader. The other thing that Benjamin does here is, it's a, it's about the sound in the hearing, especially that line when he talks about still this poetry need ears for hear and eyes for have a look, and it's the way that is equally captured the language, the patwa. Instead of this t h i s, we have this d i s, and every syllable and rhythm and sound is captured in the way that he writes this. Yeah, I like to think that in some of my poetry I've caught a bit of that, but um, certainly as a forerunner of what we call dub poetry, and dub poetry was a sort of uh, poetry where the performer used reggae rhythms to enhance the beat or to work with the beat of the poem. And sometimes if there wasn't the sound of the musical, you, you felt it in the poem and the rhythm of that poem.
1: Roy, could you tell us a little bit about how you first came to know Benjamin's work and maybe also a little bit about how that kind of informed your own journey as a poet? That's a great question. Um,
2: when I started my journey of poetry in the late 90s, I was certainly looking more to American poets like Langston Hughes and Gil Scott Heron, And... Um, I think it was in the early noughties when I started to work in equalities and working with young people in community organisations. I came across Benjamin in two different ways. I happened to be working with Benjamin's sister, Joyce Springer. And Joyce was an equalities leader of a whole group of equalities officer in the Birmingham City Council. And we'd often put on... um, Conferences, and so we would break up the conferences with a bit of poetry, and she got to know about my poetry. The other thing that happened during that period of time was one of the brothers called Tipper, who was an activist, and they lost a cousin, if I remember, who was Mikey Powell, to death in custody. And so I saw him on one of the marches, but Joyce was always trying to get me to link up with Benjamin. As I was doing equalities work and working with young people, I would use Benjamin Zephaniah's poem about when he got kicked up by a policeman. This policeman keeps on kicking me to death. And he said it was a real experience. So it was so vivid, it was so real, that when you sat down with young people who were on the verges of gangs or were getting into trouble with the police, you could grab their attention with his poetry. And it was like I would have an older brother in the room sitting there as young people and say, OK, this is the reality of Britain today. How are we going to work with this? And then a couple of years later, through anthologies like moving voices which is a whole collection of black performance poets you have not only the a cd but you have his words in the collection and they talk about the history of the oral tradition and now i'm a performer i would always put that cd on listen to benjamin and say oh that's how you do the repetition that's how you engage that's how you express yourself that's how you let loose you can. Oh my God, you can let loose on the stage. And I think that's my teaching, that's my learning that I got from Benjamin. So I guess it was two things being a witness to the lived reality that we were living in. And the second thing is bring that poem to life.
0: What an incredible fusion of connection.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It strikes me that there's also something about some sort of shared sense of humanity or social conscience. Benjamin, of course, was an activist through his poetry. You know, Absolutely. I don't think they're separate yes. things. He seemed to me to sort of stand for himself and uh, an integrity to him about what he believed to be right and to, to talk about that without
2: fear. Oh, without a doubt. I think that is the key element that... Benji was a humanitarian and spoke without fear. The famous thing that everybody remembers is the rejection of the OBE that he got on live TV. It's quite interesting. In his rise, I think he became one of the most televised poets. In the late 70s, early 80s, Channel 4 was just coming up. You know we're living in a period where we got hundreds of channels, back then we only had two, then we had three, and then we had channel four. and Benjamin became the face of poetry, and he then became the the, the people's poet. I think I'm sure you said something about before becoming a poet or in that transition of poetry and being part sometimes of the sound system. So in the 70s, we had sound systems where you could go and dance, and you'd have somebody standing there along with the records being put on, but you'd have somebody called the toaster. And the toaster would be toasting, dropping lyrics between tracks. And sometimes in the toaster, you would talk about the politics of the day. And Benjamin would... Talk about South Africa. He would talk about what was going on at that period of time and the struggles. Palestine. He went to Palestine and India and all these places. That's, oh man, that's a man that is alive, a prophet of the moment, and not only talking and writing it, but living it and action it and being in those places. So not only in the toasting on the sound system, now people are saying, oh, you sound really good, why don't you do poetry? And then suddenly Channel 4 sees this dreadlock guy speaking as it is. And again, back in the 80s, somebody with dreadlocks and looking like a raster is problematic. We can't have him. Often the sun had a raster on the front page and saying, this is what we have to be afraid of. This is what's causing the riot. But here we have uh, Benjamin saying, no, I'm a human being. I see the issues around the globe, not just locally. And I want to talk about it. And if you give me these five minutes, I think he said it himself, I'm not going to talk about daffodils. I'm going to talk about what's happening right now.
0: I love that moment in the poem. I've tried Shakespeare, respect is due there. And then he says later, you know, I've tried love poetry, but it doesn't get me into it, you know. <laughs> it's just that kind of real vibrancy. And at the same time, there is a tremendous intimacy and tenderness, a kind of ability to speak to the single listener, not just to the crowd. I think that's that's an extraordinary skill.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think he, he was very skillful the part where he says this poetry is quick and childish this poetry is for the wise and foolish anybody can do it for free this poetry is for you and me don't stretch your imagination this poetry is for the good of the nation it says it all in those six lines is where he's saying, listen, let's bring it down. We are doing something for the people. I think you've got to bear in mind, remember that both of us are coming from a church Pentecostal background, whereas young men, we were from the age of 7, 8, 12 years old, were put on the rostrum to preach God's word. Whether it would be for five minutes or 20 minutes, whether we would have to quote a scripture and we'd have to quote it in front of an audience of 100 people or so. And when you preach, you have to preach with passion. If you just spoke the words of God, if you just talked, you would lose the audience kind of thing. So it was almost as if we were imbued by the spirit of God, imbued by the words of God, and then we, we got the, the audience moving. And that is what Benjamin brings into poetry, make it plain. And yet when he makes it plain... If you read through these things over and over again, there's an incredible knowledge and bigger thing he's talking about.
1: I also noticed that some of the truths he might be talking about can sometimes be difficult, but it really struck me that he ends this poem, it goes to you and then in capitals, with love. Yeah. And that there is that love that's in there that seems to me to kind of be the thing that runs central through everything he did and everything he was. Yeah, and I think that
2: that's great that you bring up that last line and he puts it in capitals, he said. And, and again, this this is what I think is part of his humanitarian side of who he is. He says, listen, we're going to talk hard about the issues that are around us. I'm going to tell you what I've witnessed and what I've lived through. But believe in everything, the most powerful thing I bring to you is love. Love for a community, love for the nation, love that will make a difference, not just now, but for the future. And yeah, um, Benjamin was full of love in so many ways. I just love how playful he was in interviews. I believe he kind of played fool to catch wise, as it were. And I would like to think with the humility to say, listen, just, just don't be too clever. Let's understand each other. Let's understand where we're all coming from and that we share this journey together kind of thing.
0: Roy, I wanted to ask you, you were speaking about the kind of influence of listening to that CD and you're making me realise I've got to go and get that CD now because it's, it's upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just bring it to a little bit more recently, like in working on the healing next time whether he was kind of on your shoulder with that book in terms of brutality and violence against black people, people in custody, the way you managed to address that.
2: Without a doubt. The Healing Next Time was written during a period when I was doing my master's um, in poetry. And my last essay was basically explaining how the whole book came about or why am I writing this book? Why am I looking at deaths in custody and using the sonic form? And funny enough, there's a section in there that talks a lot about a Rasta. And not necessarily Benjamin, but what I found in in Benjamin, when we look at the Rastafarian movement, especially here in England, and especially in the 70s and the 80s, um, not only was English society and, and the police and the source laws causing Rastas so much problem, but even in the church the Rastafarian was something profoundly different, even though it was about God, even though they used the Bible, even though they would talk about Solomon, all these connections, and yet we would frown upon them. And if I became a Rasta with my hair locked up, my father would have kicked me out the house. He would have kicked me out the house and thinking something had mentally gone wrong with me, So that's the kind of stigma that was upon the the Rastafarian community. And when somebody like Benjamin says, I'm embracing this beautiful thing, this thing, I'm living it. And in the public arena, I'm being a Rastafarian. It's such a powerful statement. And I guess I'll bring that up that within my essay, I write about Benjamin Linton Quasi Johnson and Gene Bintabree's these guys were like five, seven years older than me. And they were the older brothers and older sisters that took the hit, took the brunt, took the all the words. They were either just coming as five-year-olds from Jamaica, or they were just the first individuals to be born in in Britain from the Windrush migration. And so in being English, but having this Jamaican background, speaking pattern, trying to trying to navigate yourself through education, through jobs, etc. They took the brunt. And now I had somebody like Benjamin Zephaniah writing it and making it plain. And for me, it felt like, okay, guys, you've done that. You've opened up the door. Now it's my turn um, and my experience and what I'm going through and especially as an equalities officer, working with communities and I saw these things. I was on the marches, I was at the funerals. I now realized being the younger brother, I had to take up the mantle and and, and write it. And so being able to have a collection of these writings, not only am I inspired, but I've got to bring my voice. And so yeah, Benjamin was a, a, a major inspiration with, within that second collection.
1: Roy, we're somewhat throwing this at you, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind reading the poem from your collection.
0: In the City of a Hundred Tongues.
1: Oh, <laughs> and,
2: and, and yes, yes. OK, that's cool. Let me have a look. Ah. We're just being really selfish. Just to give, give this um, context... In the city of a hundred tongues, this barefoot rasta, this rasta, there's a repetition of that in there. And not only Benjamin used this idea of the word this poetry, but a famous poet by the name of Muta Baruka, pure Rastafarian from the hills of Jamaica, one of the most globally beautiful, Powerful posts. I hope somebody in our time as Poetry Exchange will come to you with a poem from Muta Baruka. Uh, But one of Muta Baruka's famous poems is this poetry. Likewise, I don't know who came first. I wouldn't even want to debate who came first between the two of them. So I came along knowing that Benjamin has done this poetry, knowing that Muta Baruka has done this poetry, So I thought, why not do this raster? And this is how this has come about. In the city of a hundred tongues, one. The night comes early in the city, maybe lost, maybe on the run, but it's here to stay. It kneels and prays, nervous in the illumination of street lamps, arms outstretched, a barefoot raster stands outside waterstones, and in a city of a hundred tongues, in the tumult of identities, even in the din of it all, you can find amity in this beautiful city. Two. This barefoot rasta walk into central station. This rasta is swapping the sands of Morant Bay for the brown leaves crinkling under feet. This rasta is not the famous muta buruka. This rasta is sitting in a cafe breaking wisdom with a writer. This rasta has been traveling along weir. This rasta, is he fiction? Aussie Z Truth, three, Rasta eating apple and cinnamon muffin, Rasta. Hey, if you were dead, if you were to die to dear, what would your children think of you? The writer, that's interesting, really interesting. Jeez, that's interesting. Rasta, notice you have repeated yourself three times. The writer is silent. The rasta writes that down. Don't think, just write. A writer writes, and a barefoot rasta is walking out of the door. Four. Standing inside Waterstones, in between the good immigrant and why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, the writer watches the barefoot rasta standing outside with his arms outstretched. 6. Remember, this rasta is not Muta Baruka. This raster straddles the histories of the colonized and the colonialists. This raster will not be policing state borders, but will stand in the gap in the midnight Hour. This Rasta will be the voice of violence of the violated, the silence at the dawn of revolutions. This Rasta will cry tears. This Rasta will be seen and not seen. This Rasta will at times embalm your empathy. This Rasta. At times, will fuck up your mind. This rasta will not be found on the BBC. This rasta will be getting into your head. This rasta will not be wearing dreads. But you won't have to chase him out of town. And this rasta will not be standing on corners, but will be performing from the BT Tower. Seven with waterstones behind him, arms outstretched and barefoot. A raster sinks into a multitude of tongues, bouncing off the soft pallets of black skies. And if all a man or a woman brings with them is their mother tongue, in a city of a hundred tongues, we, I, Everyone, whoever's listening, should make room for another one.
1: Bloody hell. Wow. That's extraordinary.
0: So beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's um, Benji and, and Muta and so much of my legacy.
1: Our thanks, of course, to Roy for sharing that conversation with us and giving us permission to share it with you. And to Bloodaxe for allowing us to use Dis Poetry by Benjamin Zephaniah.
0: Our thanks also to Roy for sharing his own poem in the midst of that conversation, In the City of a Hundred Tongues. It was a fantastic experience to have that in the flow of things. And that comes from his collection, The Healing Next Time, which is a phenomenal collection of poetry. If you don't have it already, head to Nine Arches Press. And I also wanted to mention and thank again Bloodaxe, the book and DVD that Roy mentioned, in which he had sort of channeled many poets, including Benjamin Zephaniah. And that is called In Person, 30 Poets. And it's edited by Neil Astley and it comes with this accompanying DVD and you do get poets reading their own work. And uh, I think as the book says, it's like having an international poetry festival in your own home Mm -hmm. and it's still available. And it's a brilliant testament to Blood Axe's amazing work. So on the subject of books, Michael, I do want to give a bit of a shout out to this new book that's coming out which is entitled Shakespeare's sisters four women who wrote the renaissance by Rami Targoff it is a scholarly work it's uncovering women poets of the renaissance the first female poets we don't know about how come and it's done that great uncovering work but it's done it in such a lively and fascinating way and indeed with the poetry within the book so it's really really extraordinary and Rami is in the UK and doing events for anyone who's in London. She's March the 12th. She's at Waterstones Piccadilly. And you can head to Quercus Books for Shakespeare's Sisters, for women who wrote the Renaissance.
1: Very good. That sounds great for you. Quercus Books. Aren't Quercus Books publishing a soon-to-be-released anthology by the Poetry Exchange, Fiona?
0: They are indeed, they are indeed. And there I was perusing their catalogue and I spied Shakespeare's sisters and thought, hang on a minute, that sounds a bit good. So, yeah, uh, along with uh, Poems as Friends, the forthcoming Poetry Exchange 10th anniversary anthology (laughs) available for pre-ordering right now, you can also find Shakespeare's sisters. So it's great to be in such good company, isn't it?
1: That's great, that's great
0: so let's return to this poetry and hear benjamin's performance of the poem with thanks again to bloodaxe
3: this poetry like a rhythm that drops the tongue brings a rhythm that shoots like a shot This poetry is designed for ranting, dancehall style, big mouth chanting. This poetry won't put you to sleep saying, follow me like your blind sheep. This poetry is not party political, not designed for those who are critical. This poetry goes with me when I go to my bed. It gets into my dreadlocks and it lingers around my head. This poetry is with me when I am riding my bike. I have tried Shakespeare, respect Julia, but this is the stuff I like. This poetry is not afraid of going in a book. No, but this poetry needs ears to hear and eyes to have a look. Yes, this poetry is verbal Reading no big words involved. And if I have a problem, the rhythm gets it solved. I have tried to be romantic. It did no good for me. I take a reggae rhythm and build my poetry. I could try something personal but you've heard it all before. No written words are needed because plenty words in store. This poetry is called dub raggedy. You come with the beat and the starts skanking. This poetry is quick and childish. This poetry is for the wise and foolish. Anybody can read for free. This poetry is for you and me. Don't stretch your imagination. This poetry is for the good afternoon the I chant in the morning. I chant in the night. I chant in the darkness. I'm under the spotlight. I pass through you. University, I through sociology, and then I got a dread degree in dreadful ghettoology. allergy. This poetry is with me when I take a walk, and when I'm talking to myself in poetry, I talk, this poetry is with me, below me, and above, you see? This poetry is from inside me, and goes to you with love. Happy birthday.
1: we'll be back with you next month with more poems as friends until then thank you for listening